Someone's waiting for Sister Sledge right now. Lord have mercy. But uh, I, I want to go ahead and, and get into the subject and, and the understanding uh, of, of the, the, the connection of the body of Christ as the body of Christ around the world is looked at in multiple ways, obviously looked at as a body, uh, uh, looked at as a family, you know, uh, brothers, sisters, a common father, you know what I'm saying? And, 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 there's, uh, and then also the... the the, the church is also looked at as, as the bride of Christ, and, and we understand that. So, so there's many things that can uh, typify the church and who we are. But what we want to focus in on today is the family aspect of things. Something that's written in uh, John chapter 1, as we get started today, it says, But as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. That's just a beautiful thing. Uh, the, the writer of Ephesians, Paul wrote this in chapter 2, verse 19. He says, Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I just love that part. Members of the household of God. And, and you're no longer a stranger. You're no longer a foreigner. There, there, there was a time where, where you weren't part of the household, but now you are because you're no longer a foreigner. You're, you're no longer a stranger. You, you're a son and a daughter now. And aren't you glad about that? Aren't you glad about the transition that, that, that takes place from where we were to where we are? You, you know, you, you once got plastered and now you get pastored. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Praise the Lord. You, 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 you once were rolling joints and now you're joined here with Christ. You, you once had roaming eyes and now you got your eyes in Romans. Come on. Hey. Are you glad about it? Because now we're in the household of God. Things are different now. You know, it was a beautiful thing. There was one day that people were coming to Jesus and, uh, uh, and listen to him, and then in the process of time, his mother and brother and sister showed up. And so they said, hey, Jesus, your mother, brother, and sisters are here. And it was interesting to see Jesus' response. This is Matthew 12, and this is verse uh, 49 and 50. It, it says that he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. What a beautiful thing. And I'll tell you what, we have uh, in, in ways underestimated the connection that we have as the, the body of Christ and, and what that fully means. And, and I, I believe the Lord is going to help us to capture the heart of that here today. You know, Paul wrote in Ephesians uh, 3, 14, 15, as he was praying for the church, he said, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's Ephesians 3, 14, and 15. And then he said, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And what a thought to think. Yeah, we got family on earth, but we got family that's already on the other side. That this family is so big that that earth itself can't hold it. There's their family here and there's family that's already gone on. Amen. And, and, and we also understand this, that having a, a, a common father, Jesus is our common brother. 
I, I love the verse in Hebrews that says that the, both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. And for that cause, he is not ashamed to call us brethren. What a beautiful picture. And, and, and so that, that once again lets us know that God's our father. Jesus is our brother. And, and you know, when you're standing in the court of heaven, I'm going to tell you something. That if the judge is your father and if your elder brother is the attorney on the case, you're in good shape. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you, 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 you've, got, you've got the best chances in the world of making it through that trial when the judge is your father and, and, and your elder brother is the attorney and your elder brother actually already did the time for your crime. Somebody help me today. Hallelujah. <laughs> Woo! Just the thought of that. So now that you're in the family, now that you're in the family, We are now in a position. I couldn't resist y'all. All right. We are now in a position to have the same kind of relationship with the father that Jesus had. And you know, beautiful thing, John chapter 17 in Jesus' prayer that he prayed to the father reveals that, that, that the father loves us in the same way he loves Jesus. But, but uh, interesting thing, uh, how many of you have ever heard the term Abba, Father? You know, there's only three places in Scripture where such a thing is used, such a term is used. And, and, and one by Jesus and twice over in the epistles of Paul. Uh, and, and Jesus actually used that when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. You see that over in Mark 14, 36, where Jesus used that term, uh, uh, Abba, Father. And, and, and people um, have various ideas of the term. There, there, there were those who... Who, who would say that Abba is similar to saying daddy today? There are those, if you research it, that say absolutely not. But, but you know what? The, the bottom line is this, is, is that one, one thing it seems that people do agree on on the word is that it's the perfect combination of intimacy and reverence. That, that, that it just uh, blends intimacy and reverence together in one beautiful word. And one thing I found in a little bit of research I did on the word was that servants were not permitted to use the term Abba to address the head of the house. It was not a term for the servants to use. It was a term for sons to use. Daughters as well, of course. So think about this. Jesus called his father, Abba Father, like I said, the perfect blend of intimacy and respect. But now that we're in the family, we get to address the Lord in the same fashion. How, how many of you have ever known somebody that, that was known by a certain title or a certain name or a certain nickname? And, and if you weren't on the inner circle, you didn't get to call them that. But now that you're on the inner circle, you get to call me that now. How many of you can relate to some idea of that? Well, well, we're on the inner circle now. As sons, we have the privilege of being able to address the Father in the same way Jesus did. Romans 8 says that we've received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Galatians 4, 5 through 6 says that because we're sons, that God has sent forth the spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. What a beautiful thing. 
So that we, we, we see now that, that we're in the family, we're in the position to have the same kind of relationship with the Father that Jesus got to have. To, to be able to, to speak with the, the uh, use the same term in speaking to the Father with that beautiful sense, that beautiful blend of intimacy and respect. By being in the family, you're an heir now and recipients of an inheritance. Glory to God. We see that if uh, Romans 8 says that if we're children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Scripture also says in 1 Peter 1 that, uh, that, that he has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. To an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. I tell you, what a blessing. Not, not only am I in the family and I have the, the awesome opportunity to be able to have a relationship with God in the same way that Jesus did, but also I'm an heir and, and my, my big brother died so that I could get my inheritance. You know, the scripture says that, that there, there can only be a testament going into effect if there's the death of the testator. Or in other words, if someone's leaving the will to you, the person leaving the will got to die. Well, I tell you, Jesus died to make sure that we got the will and he resurrected back from the dead to make sure you got everything that was coming to you. Hallelujah. Thank God for that. But that's a foundation for where we're really going to focus here today. And what we're really going to focus in on today is now that we're in the family, we must consider how we should treat our fellow family members. Now that we're in the family, we must consider how we should treat our fellow family members. Think about this verse. This is um, Ephesians, no, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, and this is huge. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially, somebody say that, especially, say it again, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Should you treat everybody good? Yeah. It says, let us do good to all. Absolutely. But the Bible puts in especially next to how we should treat fellow members of the household of faith. Now, I want you to know that this particular emphasis that we've got today is not on how you treat unbelievers, people on your street, family members that don't yet know the Lord. This is about how you treat your fellow brothers and sisters that do know the Lord, but we're going to see this at the end, that how we do towards each other in the family has a big impact on what can happen outside of the family to bring people in. Come on now. So I want to focus in on five particular things in relation to the family of God today. First of all, unity. Secondly, empathy. Thirdly, hospitality, fourthly, priority, and fifthly, availability. So those are the five things we're going to hit today regarding this, this aspect of the family of God. Unity, empathy, hospitality, uh, priority, and availability. Now, now, when you think about 
the unity of brothers. You can't help but think of Psalm 133, so we might as well go there. What does Psalm 133 says? It says, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren. And brethren means sister and two, so we're going to make that clear right up front. To dwell together in unity. Verse 2, it's like the precious oil upon the head running down the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. Verse 3. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. How important is it to have unity in this family? Let me tell you, it is so important uh, to, to have unity in the family that, that, that it is actually the place where God pours out his oil. See, when there's unity, God can pour out the oil. And what's the oil? The oil is his anointing. And I'll tell you what, I've, I've been around things that are anointed, preachers that are anointed, services that are anointed, and I've also seen a few that weren't. And I gotta tell you, I want the oil. I want the oil. I want things anointed. I want, I want men and women of God anointed. I want the, the, the works that are being done anointed. I want the words that are being spoken to be anointed. I'll tell you what, when the anointing's not there, woo, it can be dry, I'll tell you what. I mean, it's like crackers and peanut butter and no water to drink, you know what I'm saying? I mean, dry, Lord have mercy. Get your mouth all pasty and stuff. But I'll tell you, the anointing will refresh you, glory to God. Hallelujah. And so in this place of unity is the anointing, and it's also the place where God commands his blessing. So I would say it is a vital thing for us to have and to continually pursue unity in the body of Christ. And after all, it's the prayer of Jesus that we would be one even as he and the Father is one. Which is an interesting thing, that unity comes from the top down. It talks about the precious oil being poured on Aaron's head and then flowing down his beard and down the skirts of his garment. So it goes from the top down. You see, there's already oneness between the Father and the Son. And so therefore, Jesus is praying that prayer that the natural flow would take place, that they, the body, would be one even as you and I are one, talking to the Father. So when there's oneness with the head, the natural flow is for oneness to happen in the body as well. Thank the Lord for that. First Peter 3.8, let's take a look at this. It says, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted, be courteous. So you see, this is talking to brothers. Obviously, it says love as brothers. All of you be of one mind. How on earth is that possible to be of one mind? When we've got people in the family of God that, you know, uh, so some, some would say, well, uh, uh, rapture before the tribulation. Some will say rapture after the tribulation. Some will say no rapture at all. We've got people in the body of Christ, some who voted for one candidate, some who voted for the other candidate. We've got people in the body of Christ who, who uh, when it comes to certain issues, are, are just uh, not of the same mind and on the same page. But the thing is, is that uh, uh, do we have to agree on every little jot and tittle of everything in life to have one mind? Absolutely, positively not. Because you know what? The day's going to come soon enough when we stand before the Lord and we find out about all the things we were wrong about. So, hey. 
And some people are going to say, well, I was wrong about that, really? And some other people are going to say, well, I was wrong about that, really? But everybody's going to have their piece of the pie about something they were wrong about. But the thing is, is that when it comes to the basics of the faith, when it comes to the meat and the taters, when it comes to the non-negotiables of the faith, the body of Christ can be one and have one mind. I'll tell you what, there's people that I don't necessarily agree with on every line of doctrine, but when I see them on TV, and if they're in a situation where they're taking a stand for righteousness, or, or if somebody's picking on them and trying to persecute them, I, you know, even if I don't agree with them on everything, I say, don't pick on them. You pick on them, you pick it on me. You pick on them, you pick it on Jesus. And so when we have that kind of understanding, frivolous, temporary things don't matter. It's eternal things that matter. It's the bottom line meat and potatoes of the faith that matters that we can be of one mind on. Go to Galatians 3, 26. We'll start reading there. Look at this. It says, for you all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Next verse. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now think about that. Jews can have one mentality and Greeks have another. Come from different backgrounds. The, 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 uh, uh, slave and free, the, depending on the, a person's background. Uh, so some grew up in, in, uh, in one way where, where they were doing well and mom and dad were doing well and they had whatever car they wanted at 16. And, and some folks, uh, uh, mom and dad didn't even own their car by the time they got to be 16. And yet, in the place under the, the foot of the cross, there's a commonality where you got people from absolutely various backgrounds, total opposite backgrounds, that find a commonality in the cross. And there is neither fe- male nor female. Talk about being on opposite ends of the spectrum. Lord, have mercy. Now, you missed a good chance to smile and laugh there. But how many of you know men and women are different? <laughs> hey. Despite what people are trying to tell you these days, they're different. Lord, help us. And, and, and you know, that, that's another beautiful thing is that with all the talk about gender in the world today and people trying to convince you that there's 150 different ones, don't get me started, but, 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 but with all the talk about gender in the world today, when it comes to being in Christ, God said it doesn't matter if you're a man, it doesn't matter if you're a woman, because in Christ... We are all one. What a beautiful thing. In the family of God. And as that other verse said, as sons of God in Christ, we are all one. So that's unity. What about empathy? Empathy is really the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. To, to, to be able to, to, to ha- have the feeling like, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm not there, but, but I, I feel for you and what you're going through. I, I care about it. Uh, I, I'm not just going to go ahead and, and sit back and say, oh, shucks, isn't that sad? But, but it really impacts me. That idea, if it, if it happens to you, it's happening to me. Let's take a look at what the Word says on it. First Peter 5. The, these are some beautiful scriptures. Verse 8 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9 says, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Look at that. Knowing that the same sufferings 
are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. How many times do we go through our life and not even have a blooming thought, not even a passing thought about our brotherhood in the world? about the fact that the family of God is worldwide and that there's other people that that are in other places in this world that are dealing with things right now. Some of the things are the same things you're dealing with. Some of the things are quite different than what you're dealing with. But, But is there any awareness and sensitivity to the fact that there's a brotherhood out there all around the world? That there's uh, sons and daughters of God everywhere in in every nation uh, uh, under heaven. Do we have an awareness of that or do we get so closed in to us four and no more in our little box? Lord, help us. May, may, may we have an awareness of what's happening with the brotherhood around the world. Hebrews 13, check this out. Hebrews 13 verse 1 says, let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. Look at verse 3. Remember the prisoners. As if chained with them. Those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. I tell you, we're, we're living in a day where, and it's always been, but we're living in a day where there is absolutely no doubt a persecuted church. And, and, and you know, that, that there's different elements of persecution everywhere. There, there's elements of persecution right here in the United States of America. You know, for, for instance, uh, if, if somebody wants to go ahead and, and uh, uh, say they're a, a, a person who believes in God, who believes that God is the creator and that creation happened as the book of Genesis said it happened, and they say that on certain college campuses right here in the USA, they will be persecuted. By people who stand on their head and tell everybody else they're upside down. Lord have mercy. All right. But, but, but you see, besides that, and, and there, there's elements that are happening right here at home. But also, all over the world, I mean, we, we've heard of churches being burned down. And, and, and people that, that, that would... Uh, uh, nations where there's non-conversionary laws and you've got people that if they convert from Islam to Christianity, and think it's absolutely worth it. And wouldn't change their decision for anything in the world even though it's costing them everything. Oh, may we have an awareness of what's happening with the body of what's happened with our family around the world, as though we were chained with them. May we have an awareness of those who are being mistreated since we're also in the body. What does that mean, since we're also in the body? Well, I got the perfect verse to describe it. 1 Corinthians 12.26 describes it so well. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members Rejoice with it. So not only should we have unity within this family, but also empathy. Amen. How about hospitality? Oh, yeah. You know, Acts chapter 9, verse 19 
So it says, so when he, that means Saul, otherwise known as Paul, had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Check this out. Acts 14, verse 28. It says, so they stayed there a long time with the disciples. And then look at chapter 21 and verse 4. Chapter 21 and verse 4 says, and finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. Now, here's, here's the thing. We, we live in, in, in such a culture that, that is totally focused on something called convenience. And I would dare say to us, would we allow ourselves to be inconvenienced for the sake of the family? And, oh, Lord, if we take it a step further, we would, would we allow ourselves to be inconvenienced for family members that, that we just met? Now, I'm not telling you to throw your brain out and, and, and not, not be cautious about who you have around your family. But, but it's interesting that, that there was such a sense of, of family that, that if these guys went somewhere and found disciples, they'd be, it would be like a family reunion. Isn't that interesting? Do, do, do we have the same sense of family uh, 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 towards the body of Christ as the early church did? That's the question I want us to ask today. Because you know what? Uh, some people could take what I'm saying and, and try to use it against people. Try, try, to, try to do con jobs on people. Say, well, I'm your family member, so you ought to, you know. Uh, it, it's it's kind of like the Bible school student uh, who, who, who had the rent due uh, and, and their tuition due at the same time. So it's about, you know, the 29th, 30th of the month. Things are getting close. And as they see somebody down at the altar that they know is driving a nice car and get right down to the altar and praying next to them and saying, Oh, Lord, you know. <laughs> it's like they're right in the ear. Oh, Lord, you know. That if I don't have $500 in the next two days, that's not faith. That's called being a con man. Lord have mercy. So I'm not talking about you using this message to go ahead and try to con people or try to get people to give you stuff. I'm talking about you giving the stuff, not you trying to get the stuff. All right. So the giving comes out of people's heart and not compulsion or or uh, uh, manipulation. Amen. But oh, I tell you, are you willing to be inconvenienced? Because you know what? You know when people are going to need you? I, I can guarantee you when they're going to need you. They're going to need you when it's not convenient. So can you be ready? Can you be open to that? Can you be uh, flexible enough to be able to open your doors for the family of God, when the family of God might need your doors open, or might need some help, or might need uh, uh, assistance with something, or just your presence there. Are you flexible enough and open to hospitality to other members of the, the, the body of Christ, the family of God? Let's talk about the priority. See, now that you're in the family, you think differently. You prioritize differently. Now that you're in the family, you think differently. You prioritize differently. You know, the funny example of thinking differently, you know, uh, it used to be one time that if somebody sent me a text that they were going to CF, I'd say, well, they're going to Central Falls. But now in about the last year or so, if they say they're going to CF, I think they might be going to Chick-fil-A. 
Why? Because something happened that has changed my thinking. My mind is renewed. So the first thing when I hear CF, I don't think Central Falls right away like I used to. I say, oh, if you're going by there, bring me some lunch, praise the Lord. But, but, but the thing is, is, is that now that you're in the family, you think differently. You, you have a different frame of reference. You can prioritize things differently than you used to because you, you have a whole new set of priorities. And first of all, we see this, that love with God is such a priority that God himself taught the class. You'll see what I mean in a minute. Let me re- repeat that, though. That love with God is such a priority that God himself taught the class. First Thessalonians 4, 9. This is a fun verse. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. It's amazing. Paul said, you don't even need me to talk to you about that because God's already taught you. What an amazing thing that that should be understood, that brotherly love, love among the brothers, love among the family of God, it it, it should be so basic, elementary, it should be a no-brainer to us. And what does the the Bible speak about the the priority uh, within the family of God? Well, what it does, it, it says a whole lot about prioritizing others before yourselves. And I want you to go ahead and take a little trip here with me. And uh, it's amazing. There's a lot of this that's emphasized in the book of Philippians. Coincidentally, and that's where we're going to get started, Philippians 2. Some words that Paul's speaking about his son, Timothy. He said, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Now, what a sad thought that, that, that Paul would have a hard time finding the right person to send to this church. And the reason why is that he was so looking for somebody who would naturally uh, or, or sincerely care for their state. And not someone who would just be about their own stuff but someone who would genuinely be about the things of the Lord. So what, what we see the, the importance here and how valuable that was to Paul when he found somebody who would actually prioritize the things of the Lord above his own things. And that when you talk about the things of the Lord and things that are important to the Lord, his family, his sons and daughters are numero uno on the list. You know, 1 Peter 1.22 talks about the, the, the quality of this love that, that, that we should be sharing with one another. 1 Peter 1.22 says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. So you see these words that describe the quality of the love. You see the word sincere there. You see the word fervently. And you see the words with a pure heart. How, how, how many of us can take a look at how we've been loving our brothers and our sisters and measure that up against what the word says here as whether we're doing it sincerely as whether we're doing it fervently or with a pure heart the, the word fervently actually means hot and I'm not talking about romantic passion here I'm talking about you having a passion for your family where hey 
What's happening with my brothers and sisters is important to me. What happens to my brothers and sisters is a priority to me. What happens to my brothers and sisters is so important to me that I take that with the same level of interest and the same level of concern as though it were happening directly to me because we are one. Oh, hallelujah. Back to Philippians. This is an amazing verse. This is chapter 1 and verse 8. Think of these words of Paul. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Not just with, with real deep affection. Not just with real warm, fuzzy thoughts. But the way that I long for you is with the very same affection that Jesus himself would long for you. If we're not there yet, that's the goal. And that's where we want to get to and where we need to get to. Right there in the same chapter, Philippians 4, 1, he, he addresses them. He says, therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren. How, how many of you have ever had a situation where, you, where you've longed for being with or being around fellow members of the family of God? How, how many of you have gotten to the point where uh, we're... we're, we're where you feel the bond with the family of God to an even greater degree than you feel the bond with your own natural family. Where you long for being in the presence of the family of God even to a greater degree than being with your own natural family. And that's nothing against your natural family, we know you love them. But why is that? Because there is something that runs so deep within the family of God. We're tied together by a common father. We're tied together by our elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're tied together by a common blood. And it's not just the blood that we can all trace back to Adam. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that has washed away our sins, that's flowing through us right now. A common bond between us. Talking about the priority of putting others before we put ourselves. We're still there in Philippians chapter 2. Oh, Lordy, this is a big one. Philippians chapter 2, 3 and 4. And it says these words. It says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And the scripture talks about elsewhere, uh, along the same line, the idea of giving preference to one another, that, that through love we should serve one another. Do you see the theme here? That part of this prioritizing, part of this priority in the family is for you to actually prioritize your brother and your sister even above your own things. But then we realize this when it comes to priorities, that by prioritizing others, we are prioritizing Jesus. Wow, what a thought. When you prioritize your fellow members of the family, you're prioritizing Jesus. 1 John 5, 1 says this, that whoever believes that Jesus Christ is born of God and everyone who loves him 
who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. Love that line. If you love him who begot, you also love him who is begotten of him. Simply said, when you love him, you love the family. And when you love the family, you love him. You know, Hebrews 6.10 describes a beautiful connection here uh, of this very same picture. That when you're doing something to the body, it's though you're doing something to him. It says in Hebrews 6.10, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name. And how did you do it? In that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Imagine you're doing something to fellow saints, fellow family members. And yet, it's something that as far as the Lord's concerned, it's a work and a labor of love that is showed towards his name. That Jesus would take personally what you do for one of his brothers and sisters as though it were being done directly for him. Wow. And if you don't think you're totally convinced yet, check this out. This is Acts chapter 9. This is Saul, who we better know as Paul, on the way to Damascus one day. And it says, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Verse 4. And then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Uh, As far as we know, there's uh, no reference to Saul uh, actually uh, meeting Jesus or being around Jesus personally or being one of the persecutors of Jesus. And yet we know this about Saul, that he was persecuting the followers of Jesus and he was doing a real good job of it too. And then Jesus knocked him off his horse one day and asked him the question, Saul, why are you messing with me? He said, well, who are you, Lord? He said, I don't think we've met. I don't think I've messed with you yet. And of course, with that bright light, he said, I don't think I would mess with you either. But then he found out. He said, I, Jesus said to him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, which means the persecution that Saul was dishing out to the, to the family of God, to the body of Christ. Jesus took it as though it were happening directly to him. And that's why there's no wonder that Jesus would have made this statement in his ministry out of Matthew 25. And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So can we prioritize the the family of God in two ways? Knowing that that we need to prioritize others above ourselves, but also to know that by prioritizing, prioritizing others, we're prioritizing Jesus. Because when we do it to others, we're doing it to him. If we harm our family, we're harming him. But if we do good for our family and towards our family, we're doing good towards him. And then finally, we get to this one other aspect of, of the family here, and that's availability, being there. Someone say being there. Being there. 
Somebody once quoted this, that uh, what God's looking out for out of you is not your ability, but your availability. And uh, true words. Let's check out this aspect of availability and the, the many ways that it can manifest. First John 3, 16 through 18. It says this, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And I want to tell you something, that family does not just conveniently disappear in the time of need. And may we never allow ourselves to just conveniently say, or we'll pretend we didn't see something or pretend we didn't hear something because we didn't want to get involved in it. But to be available. Let us never be at the point where somebody needs some help. Somebody needs a hand up. I'm not talking about a hand out. I'm talking about a hand up. And you're there with dinosaur arms. You, you, know. <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about, right? You got your dinosaur arms, can't reach in your pocket and get your wallet out. Lord, help us. Yeah, you know we got to have some fun in church. Come on. You know, it's interesting over in the book of Acts, it says that the, there was a great famine in the land and uh, that the disciples, the family of God, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren that were in that famine. That's called the family helping the family. That's called the family finding out other family members have a need and being there for them in that time of need, being available to them. Talk about being available to them, not just in the time of need, but in the time of trouble. Imagine Saul having just got saved, and, 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 uh, and now, now that Saul's saved, you know, the same Saul we were talking about a few minutes ago, he was persecuting Christians, destroying Christians, and now he's one of them himself. And there was a plot to take him out, because as Lord knows, the, this is not going good, because if he gets turned loose, then how many more people are going to get turned to, the, uh, to this Jesus uh, group? And so there was a plot to kill him. And so they were standing at the gate looking day and night, said, he's going to have to leave this city eventually, and when he does, we're going to get him. And what happens? There were disciples. There were family members who took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket, put their own necks on the line to help a brother in his time of need, in his time of trouble. You know, so some people have used that term, I, well, I just don't want to get too involved, you know. And uh, most of the time, that little term, I don't want to get too involved, means I don't want to get involved at all. But could you step out of the boat? Could you take not, not, not a, a risk of uh, lack of wisdom or a or, or risk of uh, stupidity, I'm not talking about stuff like that, but I'm, I'm saying can you take a faith risk with somebody and really be there and be available to them in a time of trouble when you're convinced of what's right and you see what's right and you know what's right to do don't close your eyes from it and pretend you don't see it, do what's right 
If there's something you need to leave with today, it would be this. This is Acts 14. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. And having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Verse 20. However, when the disciples gathered around him. Whoa. Hallelujah. Just let that soak in for a minute. When the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. He got up and went back into the same city that he just got dragged out of. Left for dead. I dare say professional stoners, they know how to do it. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like stoners are us. Um, you, you know, uh, uh, guys that, that know what they're doing. It's not their first rodeo. They've done it before. And here's a man at the lowest low, left for dead, a bloody mess, totally beat up, and very likely even dead. What was the thing that made the difference? In the darkest hour, disciples gathered around him. And I got to tell you, if you'd like it, if somebody were to do it for you, would you be willing to do it for somebody? May, may that impact our hearts in a deep way today. You know, I love the words of Paul when describing some of his friends, Aquila and Priscilla. In Romans 16, he talks about what they did for him. He says, uh, verse 3, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their known necks, risked their own necks for my life. Talk about being there for somebody in the time when they really need you. May we do that for each other. Now, how does this affect the rest of the world? We know we got an obligation to the rest of the world. We're talking about how we treat the body, but, but what about the Great Commission? What about going into all the world preaching the gospel? How does this impact that? How does our unity and our empathy and our hospitality, priority and availability, uh, all these things we've talked about today, how does that affect the world? John thirteen thirty five. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And I wanted you to know today that your love for your family is the greatest advertisement for the kingdom of God that you could ever offer the rest of the world. I want you to realize that treating the family of God with genuine love is evangelism. Because when you love the family of God, you're, in turn, loving the world. Because when you love the family of God, you show the world that what you have is real. And when people see real, they want it. Can I hear an amen today? Praise the Lord.